Hello, I'm Daniel. I am going to give a talk today from this text, the Entering the Way of the Bodhisattva, or Way of the Bodhisattva. And the talk I'm going to give is on chapter 5, which is called Guarding Awareness. And this chapter is actually quite long, so I think I'm going to split it into two. So this is going to be chapter 5, part 1. And then later on, it will be chapter 5, part 2. So, but first of all, I want to talk about what are we talking about when we say guarding awareness? We're talking about having a disciplined mind, a disciplined mind. Um, and that means just we know how to make the, good, the right choices and we're making them. We know how to make the right choices and we're making them. Sometimes this chapter is called the chapter on vigilant introspection, which I think, um, I like the sound of guarding awareness better. I think vigilant introspection sounds kind of like a clunky term to me, but it's about repeatedly examining your thoughts and actions to make sure you're making the right choices. Um, a lot of the time in life, we know what the right thing to do is, and we don't want to do it. So we come up with reasons not to do it. And on this path, we don't, we don't give ourselves that opportunity. We want to make the right choice, always, essentially. So we don't want to give ourselves excuses. This is an important point. Um, no one knows the contents of your mind better than you. So when you do something you know is wrong, and you make an excuse to why that's okay in that circumstance, you know what you're doing. We, we are really good at kidding ourselves, but we know what we're doing when we make the excuse to um, step on someone at work to get ahead. Or we, we make the excuse for cheating on our partner, right? We know what we're doing when we make the excuses to convince ourselves this, is, this stuff is okay. This stuff is not okay. And so guarding awareness is this whole chapter is sort of about like how to cultivate virtue in our lives. Um, and sometimes this is described as the chapter on the perfection of virtue, which is uh, there's a Buddhist teaching called the six perfections. And it's like six things we're trying to cultivate to live better lives on this path. And it's generosity, virtue, patience, diligence, concentration, and wisdom. Concentration and wisdom. Yeah, that's six. So, virtue is one of those. And it's just living a good life. Living a virtuous life is a good thing in itself. It contributes to our own well-being. So, even just doing, making the right choices, doing the right things in life, contributes to our own well-being in a lot of ways. We're making the world a better place for others and for ourselves. And that can be a very important thing to do. Um... So that is what we're talking about here. You want to live your life in such a way that if someone starts a rumor about you doing something bad, people aren't going to believe it. And that's, that's really hard, right? But that's what we're talking about here. So we're going to talk about guarding awareness. It all comes down to uh, what my mother said to me. 
right before she passed away, she said, make good choices. That's what she said to me. Make good choices. That's what we want to do. We want to make good choices. So we want to have the presence of mind, the mindfulness that we need in order to make good choices. And one thing about mindfulness is this. Um, this is a word that gets thrown around a lot, mindfulness. And in the context of this text, mindfulness has connotations of recollection or remembering. What does that mean? Remembering to pay attention, remembering to do the right thing. We, the truth is we forget to pay attention and we forget to help others. We just forget these things. And so we want to be mindful so we remember. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> so this is the chapter, chapter five, guarding awareness. First half. All those who wish to keep the precepts should concentrate and guard their minds. If you do not protect your mind, you won't be able to keep the precepts. So the precepts are um, a list of uh, intentions we set as Buddhists. So um, generally the precepts that lay people take are not to kill, not to steal, not to be dishonest, not to commit sexual misconduct, and not to induce heedlessness in the mind. Okay? And I think we know what those things mean. I don't want to go into great detail on what those are really at this time. But it's just those are the precepts. So those are considered the important things to live a virtuous life for a lay person, for a regular person like you and me. Those are considered like the important things to live a good life. And that's not, these are not commandments. It's not meant to be like, don't lie, but rather like you're setting that intention because you know that lying causes harm in most situations. Um, that being said, though, the precepts, there's a little bit of flexibility there in that if it's not the best choice to keep the precepts, you don't want to keep it. So, for example, my big giant example of this is just... Um, People, if you had people, if you were in Germany in the 1930s and you were hiding people in your house and the SS were coming and looking for people and they said, hey, are you hiding people in your house? You would lie. You would say, no, no, I think they went that way or whatever, right? That would be, you would lie. Of course, lying is the right thing in that situation. And that's like the biggest, heaviest example, but there could be other more small things like that, but it's important to not th take that flexibility and then make excuses, right? We don't want to lie for no reason. Lying is not good. Honesty is good. If you're always telling the truth, you don't have to remember which lie you told, right? So, so that's kind of the precepts are flexible. But uh, that being said, I, that was a tangent, but what Shanti Deva is telling us is we want to be mindful so we don't we don't forget the precepts, right? We have to train our minds so that we have our mind on the precept, but especially, especially we need to remember that. Um, it can be easy to accidentally lie or accidentally, well, it can be a little bit harder, but it could be, it could be potentially you could accidentally take something that doesn't belong to you. And 
not even think about it. I think that probably happens more than we think it does. But when we're mindful, then we remember, oh, these are important and I need to follow these. Also, if we're not mindful, it's easy to get manipulated into breaking our commitments or just forget we have a commitment in the first place. And this applies, so I'm applying this. This is about Buddhist precepts, but it could be any commitment in life that you have. So if you set an intention to be a good dad, well, you want to have mindfulness so that you remember to be a good dad, right? So you don't just snap at your kids or whatever. And if you have, if you're married, you want to have mindfulness to remember that those marriage vows are really important. Those marriage vows are really important. It's not just a thing you do. Okay. Should be taken seriously. <coughs> so that was first one. Okay. Now we're going to have some metaphors about mindfulness, about paying attention. An untamed elephant amok does not create much as much harm here as letting the elephant of mind run loose. The elephant of mind tied tight with ropes of mindfulness all around, all dangers will amount to naught. All virtues will come into your hands. So, just learning how to pay attention is going to make our lives a lot better. That's what he's saying to us. If you just pay attention to the world around you, if you just remember to keep your commitments and have harmony with the world around you, you're going to see things change. I think that's true. All tigers, lions, elephants, bears, snakes, and enemies, the keepers of the beings in hell, the Dakinis and Rakshasas, by binding just this mind alone, all of these will be bound. By taming just the mind alone, all of these will be tamed. Um, Dakinis and Rakshasas are like mythical beings. You can think of angels and demons. Um, we can choose if we take those literally or not. Same with uh, beings in hell. We can take that literally or not. But the point is, is he saying, if we're really mindful, bears can't hurt us? I don't think so. I think what he is saying, though, is we can control our fear. We can have more control of our lives if we're mindful. So... Um, if a bear's coming at you, a bear's going to come at you. But if we're mindful, maybe we're not scared of bears for no reason. Maybe we're not scared of bears for no reason. That's sort of what, what I, I think of here. Because sometimes we're scared of things that aren't happening, and we worry a lot about things that aren't happening, and it steals our joy. It can steal our joy, Right? And I think you know what I'm talking about there. If you're just really worried about losing your job or you're really worried about um, does my spouse really love me or whatever, that can really steal your joy when sometimes there's just nothing to worry about. Sometimes there is, but other times there's just nothing to worry about and we're just getting stressed out about nothing. Okay. For he who spoke the truth has taught that everything we fear and sufferings beyond all measure originate from mind. So, that's a tough thing to reflect on, right? It comes from us. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It comes from us, right? There's a teaching, and I've talked about this before, but it's called the teaching of the second arrow, and that is where, um, it's a metaphor, something bad happens to you, and you don't like it, of course, and then you 
make it worse with your mind. You make it worse when, with your minds. So uh, one time I had a leak in my car tire and in uh, what other tire, right? In my tire, I had a leak and um, before I took it to the tire store, I just had this running theme in my head like, oh no, right? I have to take time off work. This, this getting this tire fixed is going to take forever. What if they can't have to fix it? What if they can't fix it? What, I, what if I need a new tire? New tires are really expensive. Um, I wonder if someone put a nail in the street on purpose for me to hit, right? All these things. And so I was really stressed out just thinking about that. Just, just my brain going down all these negative roads. And what happened was I just took it to discount tire and they just patched it right up in like 18 minutes and I wasn't even late to work. So that's a thing where I made it worse than it was. And it was actually very simple that that being said sometimes of course it will go really bad but we need the mindfulness and wisdom to know the difference and to not get torn up when things are actually not bad okay okay <coughs> sorry allergies so this is a little deeper who is it that specifically made the weapons of the hells? Who made the ground of burning iron? Whence come the lovers in hell? The sage has said that all of these arise from wicked thoughts. Therefore, there is in the three worlds no danger other than mind. So, I'll unpack that a little. So, in the traditional teaching, the belief was that... um. Through the actions in your life, you will be reborn and your new life circumstances are determined by your current life, okay? And I think it's not an unheard of concept. Um, and that's the traditional teaching and sometimes in Buddhism we take that literally and sometimes we take that metaphorically. I don't know if you have a new life after you die, but he's essentially saying like if you do... You made that. If you have a new life that's determined by your choices in your current life, and you know, you have a, like a really terrible life because of the choices in your current life, well, you made that. It's sort of a way of him saying, hey, make good choices, right? And this is a tough thing to think about in the modern world. Um, It could really lead to some victim blaming, and that would make me very uncomfortable. Um, you know, oh, well, this happened to you because of this and this and this. So I don't even like to think about that kind of teaching. I don't know if rebirth is real, and I don't care that much if it's real. I want to live a good life because I see the impact in my life now. I see how practicing virtue contributes to my well-being so I don't need to know about, think about, be aware of some potential future life to want to make the good choices now. The truth is that making good choices contributes to your well-being and harmony with the people around you. Just show kindness. Just be nice to people. And you don't need 
fear of a negative future life, and you don't need fear of hell to do that. You just need to know what the right thing is, and we do. We know the right thing is to not be completely selfish all the time. We know every human being knows that in their heart. And some people are really good at pushing that away and just practicing selfish all the time, selfishness all the time, and some people are bad at pushing that away. And that's it. I really believe that. I think we all know in our hearts what the right thing to do is, and it's just sometimes we really don't want to do it, so we don't. <clears throat> so, um, in this context, we all know that sometimes when there's bad things happening in our lives, we're, we created that. We made that, you know. If you're a person that thrives on creating drama in relationships, you know what you're doing and you know who you are and you know that the drama's there because you made it. If we reflect, we know. Um, sometimes bad things will just happen to us for no reason, but other times we create that and it takes wisdom to know the difference, but we should want to know the difference. We should want to know the difference. You know, I've had, I've been in financial trouble because I didn't plan my spending very well. And I know that's, that's my fault. I can be upset. I don't make more money or whatever, but I still know that I played a role, right? And most of life is like that. We are not always the creators of our own misery, but often we are. And it's really important to realize that and just look for ways to mitigate that. If ridding the world of poverty made generosity transcendent, there are still paupers. So how could the past protectors have transcended? The wish to give all your belongings and the results to everyone is taught to be transcendent giving, and therefore that is mind itself. And where could fish, etc. be sent where they would not be killed? Discipline's taught to be transcendent from gaining the intent to abstain. How could one kill belligerent beings who are as infinite as space? Vanquishing this one angry mind is like defeating all those foes. <clears throat> so... Controlling your mind, training your mind, taming your mind. It's the most important thing you can do for your well-being. And an aspect of that is training in compassion and kindness. But another aspect of that is training in mindfulness, awareness, wisdom, patience, all these things. He's saying peace is within you. It's not out there. It's not out around you. It's within you. And when you get that right, you're going to be able to get the rest of this right. It's uh, free your mind and the rest will follow, right? Is that an expression? I think it is. Free your mind and the rest will follow. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Shanti Davis is saying. He's saying, man, so listen, I can be obsessed about changing the world to match my desires and needs all the time. And that hasn't worked out for me. 
what if I can control my mind better? What if I can learn how to develop this mind that says, right now it's like this. This mind that's just happy when other people are successful. Happy for their success, right? And this mind that wants to help others instead of being selfish all the time. Because if you want to help others, if you truly want to help others, there's a lot of joy in actually helping them. There is. <clears throat> How could there be sufficient leather to cover the earth entirely with just the leather the leather for my souls? It's as if the whole earth is covered. So, that's a metaphor, obviously. But he's saying, man, we could spend all our time trying to pick up all the rocks in the world, or we can just put on shoes. Or, I mean, he said cover over the rocks. We could pave the earth, right? But we can just put on shoes, right? Changing how I relate to the world is an enormously powerful thing. Enormously powerful. Likewise, although I am unable to keep external things at bay, I'll keep this mind of mine in check. What need to ward off anything else? Even with body and speech, results of feeble conduct are not like the fruit of rousing one clear thought. Rebirth in such as Brahma's realm. That just means rebirth in a really good place. Let's be clear about that. Um, <clears throat> if we just get our mind right, that's enormously meaningful. That's what he's saying. If we just get our mind right. Sometimes in meditation practice, we sit the whole time when we feel like it's going nowhere and we're just waiting for the time to go by. And sometimes we feel good for the whole practice. We feel like it is going where we need to go. And sometimes we just have little blips of clarity. And all those t meditations are good. All those meditations are good. No matter how long they are practiced, all liturgies and austerities are futile, said the knower of suchness, if something else distracts the mind. So, as a bit of a religious statement, um, he's saying, so, like, you can do the right rituals, you can do the right prayers, but meditation is where it's really at. If you're not really in the thing you're doing, then... It's futile. So, <clears throat> in something anyone could relate to, I think, you don't want to be sitting in church balancing your checkbook, right? You want to be sitting in church having an experience, right? It's the same. It's the same, it's the same concept. We don't want to just do these by routine, but rather we want to be really in what we're doing. Whether Whatever rituals we do, whether it be just sitting in meditation or lighting the incense or chanting or... Um, making offerings, whatever we do, we want to be really in it and not just do it in an empty way. In a distracted way. So, I don't want to be thinking about lunch while I'm lighting the incense for the shrine. I want to be just lighting the incense for the shrine. Okay? I want to train my mind so that when I'm lighting incense for the shrine, that's where my mind is. Okay? And that can be a tough thing to do. And we can bring that kind of attention to anything we do. So it doesn't just have to be spiritual practice, but rather like when I'm at work 
and someone's talking to me about their problem that they need help with, I want to just be listening to them. Maybe taking notes as well, but the point is my attention's there. It's with this person that needs my attention. My attention's not with where I wish I was or what I did earlier or what I'm doing later, right? We're training in attention so we can place our attention firmly and strongly, okay? Okay. Those who don't know this secret of mind, the sublime paramount of dharmas, want to gain joy and end suffering, but wander to no avail or end. <clears throat> Sometimes um, when I teach meditation, and I teach people like, how to be in this moment, how to pay attention, how to be present, right? That's what we're talking about. And sometimes people are like, oh, that's it? Because they don't have a sense of wonder about being fully present. But being fully present is amazing. And it's something we rarely do. And I think we don't talk about how significant it is enough. Um, I once had a teacher say, awareness sanctifies. And that is just like, Anything is part of your spiritual practice. Anything is amazing and wondrous if you just pay attention to it. We have this big habit of not paying attention to anything, really. And we can just bring more attention to our experience and make our experience more meaningful. We can learn how to bring more life to our life with attention. We can Thus, I will grasp and protect well this mind of mine, this discipline of guarding mind aside. Why bother with multifarious disciplines? Here in the modern world, uh, people are really into multitasking. And even here in ancient times, Shanti Deva is saying, man, don't multitask. You can't really do it. Uh, studies show that you can't really multitask. When you're trying to do two things at once, there's something you're not giving your enough attention to, right? Usually, if you're trying to do two things at once, both things are not getting your attention properly, okay? You can't watch TV and play a game with your kids at the same time. Not really. You think you can, you can't. And that, trying to do that sort of saps your mindfulness, saps your energy, okay? Like those in a boisterous crowd concentrate and take care of their wounds, those in crowds of evil people should always guard the wound of mind. If you're careful of a wound for fear of its slight minor pain, why not protect the wound of mind from fear of crushing mountains in hell? So, I mean, he's telling us to be careful. He's describing our fractured attention as like a wound. And he's telling us, be careful, because there are consequences. There are consequences, right? So be careful. Living by conduct such as this, by virtue, a steadfast monk who keeps his vows, whether in crowds of evil people or among women, um, we're going to talk more about that women. Women are going to be mentioned in this again, and I think it's very important. We will talk about that. Will not fall. It would be better to lose my things, life, limbs, respect, or livelihood, better that other virtues lapse, lapse than ever my intent diminish. 
I join my palms in prayer and urge all those who wish to guard their minds. With all your efforts, pr please protect your mindfulness and awareness. So he's telling us, like, this stuff's important. Hey, reminder, this is important. This is important. If you're not really trying to be mindful and aware, you're not going to accomplish your goals. People who are beset by illness have no strength to do anything. And minds beset by ignorance have no strength to do anything. Even if those who lack awareness should listen, ponder, or meditate, it won't stay in their memory, like water in a leaky jar. Due to the fault of non-awareness, many of those with learning, faith, and dedicated perseverance will be polluted by the downfalls. The robbers that are lack of awareness, following weakened mindfulness, will seize the merits you have gathered while you go to the lower realms. This gang of bandits, the afflictions, are seeking opportunities. Given a chance, they'll plunder virtue and slaughter life in the higher realms. Thus, never let your mindfulness stray from the gateway to your mind. And if it goes, recall the pains of the lower realms to bring it back. I think um, this is important because sometimes in spirituality... We talk about we talk about training in compassion and kindness and virtue here, and we talk about training in mindfulness, wisdom, awareness here, and that is not correct. They're they're here, they're here, they're together. Okay, we need mindfulness to practice virtue. We need awareness to practice compassion. So these things are together, and Shanti Davis reminding us these things are together and not apart. And if we separate them, we're making a mistake. We're making a mistake. The truth is that both of these things we're trying to cultivate are better if they're together. Both of them are better if they're together. From Keeping Company with a Master, Instructions from the Abbots, and fear, those who have fortune and respect, develop mindfulness easily. The Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas see everywhere without obstruction. Therefore, always, I always am indeed within the presence of them all. Thinking thus conscientiously, respectfully, and fearfully, the recollection of the Buddha will then arise repeatedly. What? When mindfulness is stationed there to guard the gateway to the mind, awareness will then also come and return if it has departed. So that stuff, like, we want to have that reminder that we're part of something. We are part of a tradition. We are part of humanity. We're part of the Buddhists and the Bodhisattvas. We're part of all of this by trying to do these practices, by trying to be more mindful, by trying to be compassionate. We're part of something, and we want to... Keep that in mind. That's not to say that we're being watched and judged. Um, we're watching and judging ourselves, rather. But we know that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And that in itself can be meaningful. 
in every moment, first of all, I must know that if my mind is tainted and at that time I must be able to hold still like a block of wood. I'll never allow myself to look around in purposeless distraction with my mind focused. I'll instead look always with my gaze cast down. So he's saying... We're going to try to keep it together when things seem hard, when it seems hard to pay attention, when it seems hard to be aware or to make the good choices. We're going to try to keep it together. We're going to try to be still like a block of wood, okay? But sometimes I might glance about to rest my eyes when they're fatigued. If someone should come into sight, I'll look at them and say hello. To know the perils of the road, I'll look in the four directions often. Pausing, I will first, I first will turn around before I look behind myself. Having thus looked ahead and behind, I'll then proceed or else return. In every situation, I will act knowing the necessity. What, what's this, right? This is, I want to decide how to respond to whatever's happening. I want to not just, thing happens and I react but rather I want to decide how to react when a thing happens. I don't want to lean on my horn when someone cuts off me and cuts me off in traffic. I want to think about, oh, why could this be happening? What's going on around me? Yeah. Beginning endeavors with the thought, with body, I will stay like this. I'll then occasionally examine, how is my body situated? With all my efforts, I must check that crazed elephant of mind has not slipped loose from being tied to the great post of thoughts of Dharma. And this is especially when we're trying to do a meditation practice, I think. We have to check that elephant of mind. Sometimes it's called monkey mind. It's just that, that mind that goes from here to here to here to here, you know? It's when our mind is running, running amok and we're trying to figure out where it's even going and we can't. If we pay attention, we realize, oh... My mind, I don't know how my mind gets to where it goes, right? And we want to learn that. Exerting myself in samadhi, I shall examine my own mind by thinking, what is my mind doing to not lose it for even a moment? So, uh, the main meditation practice that I teach and practice is open awareness practice. And that is just being present with our experience and knowing what's happening. That's what he's talking about here. Paying attention to our mind and one seeing, oh, what's my mind doing? Oh, I'm remembering right now. Oh, I'm thinking about lunch right now. Oh, I hear something and I'm trying not to wonder what that sound is, right? Just bringing attention to our experience is open awareness meditation practice. And that's what he's talking about here. If due to danger, feasts, and such, you cannot do what's the easiest, it's taught that in a time of giving, you may ignore some discipline. That is sort of what I talked about earlier, about um, these things can be a little flexible if they need to be, you know? If you want to feed, steal bread to feed a starving person, that's not really breaking the precept. Uh, be careful, but that's not really breaking a, a precept. That's... You can ignore some discipline to do something like that. Just be careful, though. 
Once we've considered and begun a task, don't think of anything else. Focusing your attention there, you should accomplish that one first, okay? That's, the, again, against multitasking. He's saying, really, whatever, anything that's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Bring your attention to it and really try to do it. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing it well. If you do this, all is done well. Otherwise, neither will get done. In this way, you will not increase the near affliction, not awareness. He's saying it's really easy to lose your focus if you're trying to do too many things at the same time, okay? Okay. <clears throat> if you engage in idle chat or in amazing spectacles of various and different kinds, give up your eagerness, eagerness for them. If you should dig the ground, cut plants, or draw in dirt without a purpose, recall the wounds of the Sugata, and at that moment, stop from fear. Don't talk just to hear yourself talk. Don't dig just to dig. That's what he's saying. Um, it's essentially, this is just life advice. Don't do things mindlessly. Whenever you have a wish to move or else you feel a wish to speak, examine your mind first and then be firm in acting properly. Question yourself and be like, why am I doing this thing? Do I have good motivations right now? That can be a really hard thing to do and we don't want to do it a lot of the time. So, I am going to stop for now. That is the first half of the Guarding Awareness chapter from Way of the Bodhisattva. And next time, I will go through the second half. And there is... There is an important thing about gender in the second half that I'm really... Excited? No, but I'm really interested in exploring here in the second half, and I almost want to keep going, but I feel like it's the right time to stop. So um, look forward to what Shanti Deva says about gender, or at least what I think Shanti Deva says about gender next time. But this time, you know, there's just been some life tips, and we're talking about how awareness brings value to life, and it helps us accomplish our goals, especially when our goals are doing good works in the world. Awareness really helps, okay? Okay, so thank you for taking the time to be with me today and have a good day.